Let Me Ask You is a podcast for adults. We discuss explicit topics, sensitive topics such as death, suicide, drugs, etc. Content warnings can be found in the description. And we're not experts. Enjoy. And welcome to Let Me Ask You. I'm Jake, as always, joined with my co-host and dear friend, Clay. It's the podcast. Today we are joined by a very special guest, Daniel. Unfortunately, the first 10 minutes or so of this episode were lost due to recording issues, but Daniel, we're very excited to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Let's jump right into it. Hi, my name is Daniel Faust. I'm a 22-year Air Force veteran, uh, owner of Learn and Live, and also the digital TV show War Hero Superhero, helping you thrive, veterans, and first responders from the bedroom to the boardroom. If you're a return listener with us, you know that we are not experts and we do not belong in a courtroom over a lawsuit. So I'm going to be the first to admit the technical error was for sure my fault. And the last thing that I want to do with this podcast is discredit anyone's story. So we asked Daniel to give us a recap in as much or as little detail as he wanted. Daniel, thank you for your flexibility and your patience with us. Take it away. Yeah. So basically grew up in Rhode Island from uh, basically birth until 18 earliest childhood memory was four years old moving to 60 shaman avenue remembering that yard remembering that flower bush and everything else and whatnot and then from there i lived there until i was 18 years old but between 8 to 15 years old i went through uh, parents divorce brother's death and sexual molestation and on the parents divorce it was I known since I was eight years old specifically that was going to go happen. It was like a surreal moment, but was just waiting for that to happen. And actually the separation was on my birthday, December 2nd of 95 parents got divorced in 96 officially. And we were going to a mall, the car died. And basically we had to go up to go to the payphone. which if you remember what a payphone is, they do work still. And we went to go call my dad. My dad was frustrated to say the least, picked us up, went back home, sat on the radiator and just processed my mom from like a really distant view of her leaving as I was sitting on that radiator. So that is basically the parents divorce. And then we talked about my brother's death. But the long story short of that particular regard is that went to school, expected to see him in the evening. Go get home. Sister goes, picks me up. Then get home. Then get a phone call. Hand it off to my sister. Then sister calls my dad. Find out my brother was in a drowning accident. And then, you know, go to the hospital. So that time went by really fast and really slow. It was almost like time just was in a very different flux for me in that particular regard. And by the time we all got transportation to the hospital... Found out he was under the water for like 15 minutes. This was like days later I found out this. And everything else. And he had fluid in his lungs and everything else. And he was at an adult hospital. Because I guess they have children's hospitals too. So, because he was 17. He died at 635. But that's not the end of the story. Like three minutes later, he comes back fully to life. And everything else. And they're saying, all right, we're going to transport him to the children's hospital. To see if we can do better stuff. Because he is 17. I don't get the difference. Now, mentally, even my head at 41, I'm like, a year difference, so your body is going to be that distance. They're going to help a 17-year-old come back to life compared to if you're 18. I don't know. So they floor him over to the next hospital. That's a children's hospital. And he just progressively became a vegetable and died over the next four hours. 
And I guess it gave time for the family to all get there, mom and everybody else. That's when we were sort of bonded again for that moment. And then at 1035 that evening, he died. And around that same day when I went home, that was when I said F you to Jesus and then basically broke. It's like all those things came to there. So uh, our family was religious. We'll just call it at that. But at that point, we just said, we all said, screw it all in our own different ways. And I don't, I, I proverbially said F you to Jesus. I don't think I cussed at him, but I was mad to say the least. And we went to the funeral a couple days later. It's always three days, isn't it? Except for my grandma. My grandma took like 60 to 80 days to do a funeral nowadays. I'm not sure what the new one really? but yeah, yeah, I don't get days. it. Yeah, yeah. She wanted my, my, my grandmother-in-law sidebar in this one she waited like 60 80 days because in her will she wanted everybody to be there i mean it's like wow. you're really they, dead at that point were they swimming across the ocean yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. Much time? i don't know i don't know but so go to the funeral and everything else and come to find out he had like 300 people come to there they had buses come from the school and everything again he was a spider everybody knew him everybody knew steven I was the person that nobody knew. I was the last child. Like my sister was the academic. My brother was the jock. And I always made the joke back in the day I had the leftovers. So, and I was with my cousin when, uh, in the back of the cemetery and everything else where they were burying him. And we heard the two kids that were talking. They thought it was funny that he drowned and was thankful that he did and everything else. And they actually pushed him in. They were talking about this at the funeral. So you have a huge bus in the background. This is in the North Smithfield. There's a North Smithfield funeral um, uh, cemetery thing that's about three miles from the house I used to live in. So if you ever go through North Smithfield, you drive through. It's like a big plaza. And it's like this one road that goes through. And then there's like a funeral cemetery. And then you keep driving. And then it's like houses. And eventually you run to the big part of the city. And that's where we lived. And they literally said that. I'm like, me and my cousin wanted to do something right there at the funeral, but we didn't. And I remember where they live. I'm not going to say the address. I don't need to go, you know, get 20 years past of a 15 year old's mindset of like premeditated. Yes, I, I did premeditate murder in my head, but thank the Lord he convicted me. I went to the street on my, on my, on my five speed <laughs> bike with the little stick shift and everything else. So it's like looking at it now, it's kind of funny. Like I'm going to go over and do something to these people. And at that time, I'm 4'10 and 80 pounds. Yeah, I'm a massive menace to go mess with, right? And then I just sat there and I just sat there angrily for like 20, 30 minutes. And I'm like, nope, not worth it. I wasn't a Christian then. I don't know what convicted me. I'm pretty sure the Lord did something else to convict me of that. And then I just biked off. And that's when the brokenness just seeped in after that. So that's pretty much the story in a nutshell. I think even for people that don't identify as religious, um, I, I think that there's something to be said about people that find strength in, in their religion and if nothing else um, empowers them that they can turn to something that does. And it's it's funny that you, you think that, um, not funny, but it's interesting to note that you think that the Lord gave you strength um, even in your early days when you weren't convicted to that kind of thing or, or subscribed to the idea. So it's just... I think it's interesting how that works sometimes. When I was growing up, I I thought um, 
you, you mentioned how you don't really notice things until you start to notice them, like your son noticing Teslas because that's what he chose to notice. But it was interesting growing up that I found that I was one of the only kids, um, at least in my friend group, that whose parents were still together. Now that you have lived a fuller life and you're more educated, why do you think that is? Obviously, there's a lot of different reasons, but what do you think um, one of the biggest like contributing factors to that is? You mean like why we don't process the things that we go through? Yeah. I personally believe it's like twofold. One, we either deny it or two, we're not emotionally, spiritually, mentally mature enough to go over and to handle it. I mean, we, we grow in our mind and we grow in our body and everything else. And there's certain things. It's like you don't imagine a kid at, you know, 18 months going over and riding a motorcycle just because it could be theoretically possible. But it's like it's just something that they're not physically mature enough there. And I think it's just depends on where our life's at. It also depends on how we're designed. We have certain giftings. We have certain talents. Like introspection really didn't come to me until my 20s. But I meet people that are in their 40s and 50s that don't go over and have it. We have certain giftings. We have certain see things. And sometimes even things that we read and process that we don't go over and totally get. I, but I think it's, in my personal opinion, God's divine timing to go over and to process those things. But it's like a gear shift, too. If we want to go faster and he gives us the authority to go faster, then we go faster. But sometimes he's a gentleman in the sense that he's not going to force that gear shifter to go over and go into fifth gear and overwhelm. And when we as people try to force other people into it, we have safety mechanisms. I I would not be able to process after my parents' divorce and my brother's death that I was going through sexual molestation through those seven years. Even though I can remember the acts, the equalizing fact that I was sexually molested never came out into that equation until my 30s when I was teaching on sexual assault in the military. Like you, you learned about it then or you, you only started to like read into it and be introspective about it at that age? Um, well, I was I have a friend that works in the sexual assault prevention world. They were looking for briefers to go over and step up. And I'm like, I like helping people in that particular regard. And there was a message called respect the red line. And I was teaching this so often in a 90 day period, I taught 45 sessions. It was crazy. And this is doing the military job plus teaching this stuff. And I think I got to like the 25 or 30th session and people were not relating with the material and they would go over and there was one of the facts that we had to go over. So we have to meet fidelity when you're briefing this stuff. Fidelity means like if you have something like a curriculum, you got to hit a certain percentage with accuracy. So it was like 70 percent. Mm-hmm. You're allowed a little variation of things in that particular regard, but you have to hit those things. And it kept saying the fact one out of seven women are sexually assaulted. And uh, no, one out of three women are sexually assaulted and one out of seven men. And most of the people were men and they didn't resonate. And it came to me like in that 25th to 30th brief. And I can't remember which one, but it was like, it, it's like, and I'm like, and I said, to help with this exercise, you have one of them in this room right now. And I realized it was me. So it gave them an object lesson now knowing that. And I, and, and at first I didn't reveal it was me, but over time I did, like as I did the sessions to go over and do that. And once they, once I said it was me, people started opening up. People started being transparent. People started getting the message. People started seeing things. Their eyes opened up. So if I would have realized that at 15, I think it would really would have broke me. I'm like, I already was broken already saying F you to Jesus and yeah. filling the void and doing all the crazy crap, which we haven't even gotten into. Not extreme stuff. I'm not that cool. But, you know, I did stupid stuff. 
But the thing is, if I realized that if I did that, if at 15, I don't know where I'd be at today. I don't think I could help the people where I'm at today if I didn't have the mental, the emotional, the spiritual maturity to go over and deal with that stuff. Some people might have it younger, some people might be younger, but I look at it, it's like everything we go through. And then you look at it introspectively, if you change one thing, it either would go over and wreck you or break you or not put you in the right spot or different things. You guys probably even started this podcast out of things that happened in your life. And then it came a culmination of that resonation of that message. So that's where, that's where I think it is. Yeah. And your, um, your experiences play a huge role in that, especially when it came to helping people because you sit through a lecture and you're getting taught something. It's really easy to disconnect from it if you don't resonate with it. And it's someone who has been through that. I think it was good and important that um, while it was unfortunate that you went through it, that you went through anyways to be able to put it into perspective, how serious it was for these people that might not connect with it in the way that you did. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the way it always works. It's like you have somebody teach something that's basic and they're teaching it just out of information, but not teaching it out of wisdom. You don't resonate with as much. And even if you, even if you touch one person's heart with your message, I mean, that's, that's one more person than yesterday, you know? So, and then you giving lectures over, you know, your period of time and how, how many lectures that you taught, like you could have one person per class, you just touch 90 people's lives and it's, you know, who, who knows what they're going to go to teach somebody. So it's just like, it's like a drop in the pond, you know? Mm-hmm. I got to ask because we, we deal with people who have been through things in their early life like this a lot. Would you change it? My wife brought up that question last night. She's like, I want to go over and see five years in the future of my evangelistic ministry and stuff like that. I said, no, no, because you, you, if you change that one thing or see something in the future, you don't know where it's at. If you ever watch that show, That's So Raven, such a funny show, right? She goes over and she has that prophecy moment and she sees that moment in there. And then she's trying to either avoid it or make it come happen or anything else. But she only sees a glimmer of what it is. And then you go over and then you're either freaking out or you get to that moment and it's all over and everything else. You know, do I wish people go through what I went through? No, but I wouldn't change anything about it. It makes me who I am today. It makes me who I am going to be tomorrow. It's going to be the people I'm going to go minister to. It's the people I'm going to go over and connect to. You know, I can go over and say, do I want to go change my pinky? Because it's broken, as you can see. I mean, it's a funny story. It hurt like hell when I broke my finger on that volleyball. But now that I have this, I have a gap, I have a joke, and I can still one-hand clap. I mean, for me, uh, just those things, those things, I don't, I don't want to go change those things. I don't want to go because... The Lord has a perfect story for it, and it's his story for it, and he's going to use it for his people. That That's the point of that. And if I go over and change that, it means I'm going to change who I am. You watch any of those shows and any of those things, I'd rather just go over and be, I have a vision for what God has me to go over and do, and I ask for the three feet of light to go over and guide me. If I see way out in the distance, could you imagine like going through the Dead Sea, and then you see that anonymous thing? It would freak you out. Or is it going to be great if you, let's say you knew it was going to close, you know, you see that movie in the moment, it's about to close. And let's say you're the person on the end, but you knew it was going to close. Would you have gone through? No. Or maybe you would. I mean, it's like, I don't want to change on what it was because there's going to be good, great things that he's going to give me. And then to give to others because of that, you know, the hurt and the pain. No, but I still want the story so then I can give better stories to others in that particular regard. If I can have other people learn and live instead of live and learn, great. 
but I wouldn't change any of my stories. Wouldn't even change the almost divorce I went into my marriage. I wouldn't change it because it transformed my marriage. Even breaking my back a few years ago, I wouldn't change it either. I wouldn't. And you fixate on the end result, then you won't be in the present and enjoy the journey that you're on. So I think that, um, I think it's a pretty good take. From 15 to 18 years old, when you finally joined the military, what was life like for you? Well, before that, can I actually, can I actually ask like why, what was it that triggered you to join the military? It's a girl, actually. It's a, it's a girl. It's a funny story. So <laughs> I'll give you the funny Usually story. Is. I'll give you the background after yeah. it. So basically it. I, so during that 15 to 18 period, Wiccan, magic, porn, people, uh, just whatever to fill the void, 15 to 18. Graduated high school, uh, didn't graduate well. You know, the first time I ever get to go to a real party that was supposed to be really cool and whatnot, I got sick on graduation day. God's providence, I guess, because I probably would have got drunk, stupid, and did something else. So I always see those moments. I'm like, I hear stuff afterwards. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Yes, it was horrible being sick on graduation day. But after hearing the party, I'm glad I didn't go. <laughs> you know, so I go over and um, I went to college, uh, Community College of Rhode Island. I won't mock it this time because we have Rhode Island listeners. You guys know what the name is, the nickname, if you're Rhode Island listeners. Put it in the oh, chat. We can mock Rhode Island. Come yes. at us, bro. Yeah. I'll fight all of you. Yeah. The entire state of Rhode Island. I'll fight all, yeah. yeah. right. all 12,000 people in Rhode Island. Wow. Wow. <laughs> But anyway, so we made jokes of what that college was. So I went to that school. I went to the Warwick campus and everything else. And then I would go to class and I was going for electronics technology. And I just can't keep up with the load. I was doing 12 credit hours plus going to work and everything else and whatnot. It was one of those days I had off. And what do you do as a lonely man, 18 years old, libido like whatever, and you're filling a void? Well, you go to porn tapes and you do your thing and whatnot. But I felt convicted in that particular regard. I always did. After that, the recruiter calls. I'm like, I already feel shameful and I'm answering the phone. This is horrible. <laughs> like, so the recruiter calls me and he's like, goes over and he's like, hey, you want to go in the Air Force? I'm like, and ask those questions. No, not really. But he's like, hey, uh, there's this girl named so-and-so. Again, I, I don't want to name names because I don't want them to feel bad. But so the, they, they mentioned the girl's name and everything else. And, and they said, hey, do you want to give her a ride? I said, sure, I'll give her a ride. I had a crush on her since ninth grade. So I thought this was prime time. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go over and get myself a girlfriend. Yeah, cool, awesome. Get in the car, and I'm very vocal, and I told her, I'm like, and basically asked her out in there. She's like, I have a boyfriend. So I felt like my heart got ripped out of my chest and threw her on the ground and got stomped around like a little Mexican hat, like those old analogies, remember, as a kid. And then before after you signed the contract? So go into the recruiter's office and basically he shows me the BMT video and she's in there with me and everything else. And I wasn't supposed to be recruited. I was supposed to be, she was supposed to be one getting recruited. She's like, I don't know if I want to go. I'm like, oh, if I, my boyfriend, if I go in the service, it's, he's going to probably leave me or separate or anything else. And this profound statement came over me. And I know it was him because I, I was looking at everything in the world. I said, if he truly loves you, it doesn't matter distance or time or anything else that he will stay with you. He'll stay committed and everything else. So I got more interested in the military. I got free food, fellowship with the recruiter and electronics jobs because I couldn't find electronics jobs at the time. I'm like, I can get out of here. So I signed up like within a couple meetings after meeting the guy. Long story short, later on, she signed up for the Navy and then she eventually did 
separate or get a divorce, got married and then got divorced. I'm like, you called it already. You already were calling your relationships out. It's self-fulfillment prophecy. If me and him are separated, we're going to go over and have it and separate or divorce or whatever. They were dating at the time. And I found out years later, she got married and got divorced. And I'm like, you literally called it out. But it was God's promise me. It's like, and my marriage is that way. I've been through thousands of miles and deployments and all these types of things. It doesn't matter. Commitment's commitment. And especially if you look at it from a covenantal view in my eyes, I look at it, it stays, it lasts. And I wasn't even, I wasn't even a Christian then. I wasn't looking at helping marriages. I was just like, that just came out of me and out of nowhere. And it's still remembered to this day. And that's why I went in the military because of a girl. <laughs> like basically that. There was other reasons afterwards, you know, you know, you become service and all those things, but initially if it wasn't the recruiter calling me after like, you know, magical porn tape time, which I'm glad I don't touch that stuff anymore, but it's like answer the phone in shame and I'll go because I feel bad. And I'm like trying to give my penance to this recruiter because of my, my, my gross sin and whatnot. It's like at the time, man, such fallacy thoughts I had back in the day. I have to repent to this guy. I don't know to give a ride and I will go <laughs> over and be healed from this grotious sin I did and stuff like that. And I would justify that in my mind. If I did enough good behavior and did good things, I would be godly mad. Well, that's everything but biblical. So uh, yeah. so that's how I went in the military, you know? And it was huh. to fill a void, in a sense. So from one void filling to another initially. Yeah, most people join because they're, you know, American patriots or they saw those really cool Navy SEAL commercials. Not yeah, really. it's cool. Not me, no. <laughs> you chose I to be, be the change. <laughs> I remember one side story of that. I remember the army recruiter trying to grab me when I was in the mall. And he's like, hey, you look like a young guy. I want to go in the army. I said, I don't want to die. Thank you. No. And I walked off. I like, <laughs> Dude, and what is it with army recruiters? They're so out of pocket. I had an army recruiter come over to my house. And the very first thing out of his mouth in front of my mother was, you got a good size neck. You could take a bullet. <laughs> As a 17-year-old, I convincing by... <laughs> out of pocket. <laughs> dude, just like, dude, read a what? room, all right? <laughs> I this think those guys are just truthful and they're authentic. You always know where you stand with them. That's what I love about the uh, Army is you always know where you stand. Other branches, not so much. It's more like, did you hurt me? You know, you're in a conversation, <laughs> you have to walk away for a while. And you're like, I think I just got emotionally stabbed. But you always knew that was in the emotional army. damage. Yeah, you're like emotional damage. You're like it's like you knew when that happens in the army. I, I've had so many interactions. I'm like, I love my army brethren now because they're just straight shooters. You always know what it is. They might if they don't know how to read a room, they don't know how to read a room, but they're straight about it. Like, hey, I don't know. I just go say what I'm gonna think, and I'm like, that's fine. And there's some really super intelligent guys that do know how to read the room. It's the same, but. It's a straight shooter, like army men and women. I'm like, I love the army because it is. if it's really smart, it's super smart. If it's really stupid, they all go together stupid. You know, Air Force for me, it's just like, it depends on where you go. It's just some places like, we do it really smart. And other places you're like, we don't do it so smart. We do it the best we can, but sometimes you're like, man, I wish I was at the old place. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people can attest that, you know, not, well, I don't think there's very many people that actually enjoy the military for what it is, but rather enjoy the camaraderie and bond that they make with, I mean, in essence, complete strangers, you know? This is going to need editing, but fuck, I really forgot. I had a, I had a really good question. It completely. I just derailed myself. Lost it. <laughs> Talk about yeah, this, this all the So, you see, Daniel, this is, why I spend, this is why I spend five hours editing, because Jake loses yeah. his train of thought. So, um, what you do now... Um, and helping veterans, I, I feel like, is it safe to say that your time in the service is what motivated you? This has a follow-up. I'm just briefly like, yes. 
Yeah, it was all those things. It was the divorce. It was the death. It was the molestation. Yeah. It was the constant seeing of myself and almost my divorce and almost losing my kids and almost losing my career. It was, it was a lot of the pain that driven the purpose. It was a lot of the wounds that brought the wisdom. It was a lot of the mess that brought the message in that particular regard. And we have, we have 22 plus that are also ending their lives on a daily basis, including my first responders It's roughly 60 when you add first responders and full military. So it's a Mm -hmm. really driving force that, I want them to have purpose. I want them to have wisdom. I want them to have a message. So um, what did you do in the army? I know a lot of people in the military don't have like, um, I mean, you might be surprised that people in the military have relatively normal jobs. Like there's desk jobs and medical jobs. And there's so much stuff that you can do that you wouldn't even be t- able to tell that somebody was in the military, but in the air force, sorry, what did you do? I'm glad you caught yourself. I was about to correct it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Lots of editing. Five hours later. <laughs> Five yeah, hours later. He's like, a rare force. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I've done several different jobs. So I first started out as a mechanic for the aircraft. Unfortunately, I failed out of that. I'm thankful now that I failed out of it. And then I tried to be a military policeman. I'm definitely glad I fell out of that. My military policemen, they're awesome. But me, no, me and a gun are not friends. I'm like, (laughs) so I eventually, my first career field that I did for a season was basically the civilian term would be like administration. It was, uh, it's called informational management. It's basically managing information from creation to destruction. You have like FOIA, which is the Freedom of Information Act, which a lot of civilians know about that. Privacy Act, those types of things. IT uh, infrastructures, because that's where information gets managed from creation, destruction, paper, microfiche, all the type of stuff. So I did that for the first couple of years. And then I cross-trained or switched jobs to postal. So I literally worked in the post office. No, I didn't go postal. <laughs> Funny story about postal people, the most of the people that did those shootings in the 80s and 90s, they were the sweetest person you ever met. Go look it up. But So I did that for two years. Uh, and yeah, then, I think most of those like active shooters and stuff are people that you honestly wouldn't expect. Yeah. Well, what happens is this guy, I became a behavior consultant years later, and it's like the sweet, sensitive person doesn't want to say no, but they're like a teapot. And when they boil over, that's when they explode to... So, the dominant person explodes right there in front of you. So if you get into an argument or confrontation for them, you're like, yeah, that person's going to go over and do something evil. No, they just bent off immediately. So like the army straight shooter that would just call what it is or got angry guy, girl, it doesn't matter what branch we, we're all straight shooters in the military, but those people, you don't need to be freaked out as much as the sweet, sensitive person, not saying any other type of person can't go do malice, crime, sin, whatever you want to call it. It's just that those people tend to hold in the longest. And when they explode, you don't expect them to explode. You're like, I was the sweetest person I ever met until that moment. <laughs> so I did that for Dude, two I, I years. Feel like, I feel like that's everything. You, you go on the news and you see like something absolutely heinous happening. And everyone that knew him was just like, oh, he could never do harm. Or he was never like this. And it's like, well, you know, like. Clearly, Every single time he was capable of great harm. Yeah, so we need to like... check. We need to check on all our people, no matter who they are. It could be the quiet person, it could be the loud person, it could be the conscientious person, it could be the outgoing person. We all need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. So, in that particular regard, but two years of that job, and then went, and I was in Germany, and then I went to Korea. They called me back to my old career field, so then I became an instructor 
for the client systems side. So that was more IT. The career field changed to more of IT background. Did that for a year. I actually stopped dating during that time between uh, Germany and Korea to really figure out my master, my mission, and my mate. That's when I became a Christian around that time. It was actually in, in, in South Carolina, but that's a different story, different time. So you found you found your faith while in the military? Yeah, it was actually when I was at my first base, Shaw Air Force Base. So that's when I found my faith. I realized how much I sucked and how much I needed Jesus. And then, you know, initially when you come to faith, you're like, I got three little sins. That's all I got. And then you start peeling the onion. <laughs> was it like, would you say that it was just a, a conglomeration of everything that had happened to you and it was just this cascading effect? Or was there one thing that sort of triggered a turning point for you? Well, it was basically 15 to FT, 18 FU to Jesus. And it started in basic training. Like basic training was rough for me. I'm like, you might not know this, but just like the one hand clapping, my foot is just as bad in the sense and I'm flat footed. So <laughs> I go over and I bounce like no tomorrow. So if you ever see military flights on TV and everything else, they march like this. I walk like this. So I'm seen from the day three and they called me out. They're like, Trainee Faust. I'm like, he knows my name. Oh, no. No, I've been here three days. There's 60 of us. Come on. And he started marching with me and called out. And then I bounced more because he was you know, being the drill sergeant he is and just ripping my soul. Like, that's your job to rip your soul, to build, to break you down, to build you back up. So they started saying like, hey, there's this thing called chapel. And I'm like, what's that? They're like, you get to go to church for like an hour and take off your hat and get to smile and you get to sing and be happy. I said, I haven't done that in a long time. I'm going to go. <laughs> so I went. And then next week they went over and said like, hey, you can go to this thing called fellowship. I said, what's that? That's, that's like hanging out with people and having food. I said, what? Really? Two hours? I did too. And then they said, there's this thing called Bible study. Like you get to talk about the Bible and you don't even have to know a thing about it. I'm like, I got to be three hours away from this place. I'm going. After the fourth week, I was bringing people. I was trying to recruit. I wasn't even a Christian at that point. I'm bringing people. I'm like, hey, you need to go to this thing. You get to get three hours away. You're not getting your soul ripped. You don't have to shine boots. Like I'd rather stay in the dorm. I said, you suck i'm going if anybody else wants to come with me come with me and i started bringing small little crews and stuff like that and then they started calling me reverend faust so i had a little new testament and they they wanted me to read to them every night so 60 dudes had me read scriptures to them every night so but that got me through basic training but then when i went to tech school i got I became a chapel rope which is kind of like a working with the chaplains which are like military clergy and but I still don't have a faith. So I'm doing all this religious things just because free food, free people, people smiling and being happy. And I'm like, I'm going, I'm going. So it wasn't until I got to my first base that things started to really start to suck. And it was like bad supervisor and uh, really berating, belittling comments and started having SI and HI thoughts. That's suicidal, homicidal thoughts for your medical audience and whatnot. Final Fantasy VII, I had a lot of visualizations about that, if you know what I mean. You're, you know about Cloud Stripe and whatnot. Those are the types of things. I was like, and so I thought then when someone's like, hey, uh, someone told me uh, afterwards, like, I didn't belong to the unit either. So that really sucked. And then I was in this day room, which is like a living room for like a, a campus in a sense. And they had this blue little flyer and they said, hey, we do this thing called Bible study. I said, I remember those things. Those were cool in basic training. So I went. I went to the wrong one. That was more the charismatic Holy Roller one. And I thought, I'm like, all right. I went. They're like, 
And I mentioned something else like, oh, that's the Monday study. Whoops, wrong day. <laughs> Went to another one. And then I started going to like three studies because it was just my supervisor was just so exhausting. It was like, and then I just felt unworthy. And I'm like, and all these other things. So that was the only thing that charged me. So I was going to three Bible studies and three church services a week. And then this guy asked me about getting baptized. And I was like, and I agreed that, you know, you're a highly outgoing person when you agree something, you didn't think it through. <laughs> you're like, sure, I'll go get baptized. I don't know if I'm committing to. And then I met with him every Wednesday. And then he told me like the Wednesday before I was getting baptized, he told me how much I sucked and, I, and how much I needed Jesus. And this was like three hours. It was like Gilligan's Island. I was stuck on that chair island. <laughs> I don't know what kept me there. I was like, I was angry. And I was like, I wanted to get out. I'm a 20-year-old man, and I'm getting told how much I suck and how much I need Jesus. And I'm like, I'm a man. I'm an adult. I'm in a uniform. Yeah, I need to go. And I'm like, I sat there. And then I walked. Yeah. I'm sure it was hard being, especially in an organization where it's pretty much founded on brotherhood, and that's kind of the one thing that's promised to you. And it feels so ostracized and exiled by those same people. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't easy for you. Yeah. And it, it, another interesting thing is I've, I've kind of noticed that it's never like this cut and dry, like, oh, my dad was a pastor, and then I found faith through that it's always some unorthodox method of how people recruit into their faith and how they find um their faith so i mean yours was no different it started out with you wanting to get out of basic training and then trying to recruit others to save some of their time and then you know find an escape too so like hey let's go to church yeah so i basically after that those three hours i said brian i don't know why i stayed here but i did and then I got back into my car. And then your cojones comes back. You're always in the car and you're like, yeah. I'm like, I'm never coming back. I'm not going to your baptism on Sunday. It's always afterwards. Yeah. It was like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going. I'm not going to your baptismal. I go yeah, over. Yeah, remember the strength while it's happening. Yep. It's get all happening. my testosterone back and everything else. And after the third day, I was in my dorm. And I'm like, I really do suck. I need Jesus. I really started getting convicted that Saturday night. And then I got baptized that Sunday. And that's what started the transformation of me to start working through all that brokenness. You know, to start working through that, all that healing and whatnot. I think psychology helps, but I really believe that faith with that is like mind plus soul goes over and brings transformation. So that was the start of the journey in that particular regard. So that was. You said your wife is. Um, inv- inv- you're going to have to pronounce it for me. Yeah, it's an evangelist. So what an evangelist. evangelist yeah. yeah. So think of Billy Graham, but mini version. They like adopt the belief that like they're they're meant to you know recruit into their faith and stuff and try to spread the word of christianity is that right you can correct yeah, me so they give a basically a call to action in a sense so in the marketing world it's called call to action so their call to action is a faith and they usually use a story of their own and then bring the gospel in which is the stories from the new testament to then to tie it to the person's life and then they do a call to action to make that transformation of faith So it's always through volition and an altar call is then coming down to the altar of the front stage to make that prayer. Some people go over and do it and you can do the prayer through where your seat is. But sometimes when you're praying with somebody else, it's more powerful. It's kind of like going to a concert. If you go by yourself or you go with friends, it's usually more better of experience when you go with friends. So that's what basically an evangelist for dummies definition is. And did you subscribe? To the same ideology that your wife did, your now wife? Did you? Were you no, sorry? not not initially for a long time. We were both Christian, but we came from two different camps. So a quick way to explain it is it's kind of like the difference between Democrats and Republicans. So she was more Democratic and I was more Republican in faith. So we had 
like overall 10 years of like, hey, we want to grow people in faith and grow people in love and grow people in their mission and the calling. But we did it in different ways. So, yeah, and it's taken, you know, probably about 11 to 13 years to come to probably an 80 percent. And you're never going to be no matter marriage, if you're both the same exact faith, you both could be grew up Baptist. You both could have converted on the same day. You both could have got dunked and baptized. And they said, five minutes, we're going to hold you down for five minutes. I can't breathe. All the sin needs to get off you. Five minutes. And you both could have came up at the same time. And you're still. You need cocaine. There's demons in your blood. Exactly. They just go. Get the, get the devil out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, some people sprinkle. Some people do the, the baptismal full ever. I mean, everything else. And. But you're, you're, you're always just striving to become one. But it doesn't mean you are one, you know, in that regard. She's, she's more, again, kind of doing, just doing a comparison. She's more Democratic. I'm more Republican. So we, we've come to more of a balance. We're like a Demo-Republican or maybe an independent, maybe. I don't know. We're not libertarians. I'm telling you that much. We're not libertarian Christians. So, but I would, like, if you combine it, we've become more one as we've gone. And we've had some hard and rough places to go when you go over and you're like, I sit here and I'm like, I've had that experience. I think that's creepy. You do this, what? You like old music and hymns? And I'm like, I like music that rocks my soul. And I like this music that rocks my seat. You know, it's a drastic difference, you know. The hammer and anvil, you know what they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, I, I just kind of want to go back just a little bit. Um, I appreciate you being so open about your faith. We really do appreciate that. Uh, I, I kind of want to get into your um, like past boot camp and stuff, like your early military life, how you sort of started off your actual career and um, sort of like the progression of that. Yeah, so initially I was trying to pursue like chief master sergeant of the Air Force when I first came in. I'm like basic training, tech school and everything else. And was hard charging. And then after the faith conversion, things started to change for me. I'm like, I wanted to hard charge people's lives to make them come in their dreams and their destinies. So I got up to like E5 on active duty, um, which is like staff sergeant. So for the army people, that'd be sergeant or like in the Navy, that'd be like a petty officer, second class. Um, Space Force, I don't know what it's called. So we'll get there later. (laughs) They're a new branch. I still don't understand everything about them. But Anyway, so I got to that point in active duty, and then that's when I got to Joint Base Lewis-McChord. So after Korea, I went there, and I was more intentional with my rank. So when I was eligible for E6, I remember my supervisor was like, yeah, you're like in for like two years. You need to go pursue E6. You need to go over and test. I'm like, no, it has to be holistic. If you're not mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially, and I know this is going to be a little weird if you're in your marriage, if you're not even sexually ready, if your marriage is not fully up and rolling, your bedroom is not fully up and rolling. Like if your mess is not dealt with, you're going to carry that into the living room. You're going to carry that into the boardroom. If you ever had somebody that's had a bad day with their wife or husband coming out of work, you know, it's going to carry in that room. So if you're not working through that stuff and now you're getting promoted in the military, you're going to replace your life in the boardroom or the war room. And then your living room and your bedroom is going to erode. And it's going to explode eventually. So if you promote in the military, that that's pretty much solid proof that you're bad at sex. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I was thinking more of an intimacy <laughs> level. Yes, the basics of confines of sex. The mo- average 18-year-old should figure it out. I understand that. But there's more than just like, hey, pieces met, meld together. You know, it's not just that. <laughs> we didn't say that every message on this podcast was going to be a good one. Yeah, it'll be okay. <laughs> it is raw and authentic, isn't it? 
definitely. Yes, it is. So that for me, it's like I didn't. I still tested for the rank, the next rank, but I didn't actively go and pursue it. I was pursuing my marriage and my family. Not well, but at least I was looking at that particular realm. So 2006 to 2010 was when I was at that base. And then I decided I'm like, I need to get to more of my calling in life. You know, I was doing this calm job. I was troubleshooting people's computers and I had some time to go troubleshoot people's lives because when you do shoulder to shoulder stuff, people start bringing up their life. Like I had people walking with me sometimes and they'd be like, they would have this trust about me. And they say, I went through a divorce and my name is Daniel. How are you? And I'm like, I've only known you 15 minutes. And I'm like, I had these conversations. So then I started to go over. I'm like, well, maybe I can leverage it while I'm in this career field. I'm like, hey, as I'm troubleshooting your computer and you feel comfortable with me, maybe we can start troubleshooting your life. So, but after that, I got burnt out and toasty. It was like big base, lots of clients, lots of computers, endless tasks, very little of people. I was thinking I need to go and cross train. And I was wrestling between chaplain assistant, which is like helping out the clergy and mental health. And the clergy were funny. They went over and said, like, Daniel, we know you for a long time. You would be angry and bitter in this job and you would not do well because it's basically you're just doing admin for the clergy. You're really not helping the client. You're just basically doing computer support, admin support. You're doing PowerPoints. And I'm like, yeah, I probably would snap like a Slim Jim. I should not go into this job. So I looked at going into mental health. So my career wasn't more rank driven. It was more purpose driven. So I cross trained into that job. It took two years to get into that job. And my wife gave me some wisdom. She's like, grass is not always greener on the other side. And that's all she gave me. And I said, no, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's going to be better. I'm like, we're going to get away from this job. We're going to get away from these people. I don't like this base and everything else and whatnot. And come to find out, I put myself in hell, literal hell. Even though I wanted to help people, I put myself in hell. I didn't deal with my own junk. And I'm trying to help other people deal with their junk. And now I'm in this career field and everybody's bringing their stuff. Suicidal, homicidal, dementia, all these other types of things, alcoholic, uh, family problems, all these different types of things. And I'm the technician helping out the providers in this particular world. And I remember I had someone that was like an eight out of 10 in suicide. When you have suicidal patients, you range them. Some people might be just having a thought. Some people might've just pulled the trigger 10 minutes ago and we were able to go over and to intervene before it went. It is those are extreme things. So this person was like an eight out of 10, had a knife actively on them. I triaged them and everything else. And they said, Sergeant Faust, all right, you're new. Uh, we got the guy stable. You just need, you need to go to commander's call. So I went from triaging an army patient that literally tried to kill themselves a little while ago. And we got the knife off them. And I'm now leaving this person and going to a commander's call. Commander's call is like a, like a brief from like your, your higher level leadership. And you're sitting in there and they sometimes do awards and all these things. So now people are clapping all these awards. And I asked my coworker, I said, what the hell is this? He's like, it's commander's call. You've been in one of these things before. You're a sergeant. You've been in a long time. I said, yeah. I said, what the hell? I'm like, I was in the middle of triaging a patient. And you guys made me go to a commander's call. They're like, how do you deal with this? He's like, I don't know. You're going to have to figure out your own way. So that was the start of my life to go over and to start dealing with my junk. But it was a hellish experience because I forced what God had for me in advance. I took that stick drive we were talking about and I tried to shove it in fifth gear. And I'm like, you call me to teach the world better relationships. I'm just going to go in full board. Slow down, pony. You got to learn how to deal with your own. 
before you go over and deal with others. So I did that for two years. My active duty career basically got wrecked because of that. They gave me a low rating performance rating. So then that forced me to get out of active duty and become a reservist. Because of your incident with the triage patient? No, it was, it was worse than that. It was one of those things like I could do all the paperwork and not triage them well. Or I could triage them well and not get the paperwork done. So they thought wow. sending me on a deployment would fix it. They're like, well, let's intensify the ammo and give them more patient time. And then hopefully that fixes it out. And it did it. So I got down there and now I'm dealing with patients, Iraq, Afghanistan, all these other types of things. These people are coming off the aircraft and they could be SI, HI, dementia, physical problems, whatever it is. And your job is now to triage all these patients, make sure they're well enough to get back to Germany, to get back to States, to get proper care. And the first six weeks, my provider is like, I'll do all the clinical. You do all the admin and IT. I said, that's my jam. That's my song. I'll go do that. Six weeks go by. She leaves because her term is done. Yeah. Get a new provider come in and get another enlisted person coming in to help me. And they're like, oh, we're going to up our patient load 300%. And you're going to start doing triage and counseling and everything else. And I said, just so you know, I really am bad at this. They're like, oh, we'll fix it out of you. More patient care. We'll fix it out of you. So all of this while on top of trying to get your own mental state corrected, right? Yeah. A lot of times I think we rush into those things and I did that myself. Like we think we go into the field sometimes and we're fixing ourselves at the same time and it's not right. And I did it it's wrong. Works. And I see a lot of people do that. Like, Hey, I have brokenness. If I get in this career field, I'm going to go fix my brokenness by going through this career field. And sometimes you might find out sometimes it works. I think a few but the majority of us still stay kind of like bandaged up mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is in that particular regard. We have to work through it ourselves first. And I didn't do that. I tried to go over and say, I'm broken, but I want to help people. So I'm going to go in it to go help people and then hope I heal at the same time. That's like. I'm curious because you see it, you know, in the in the media and, you know, they've got the military times and all that. There's a shocking lack of support for people on a mental health journey in the military. Was it like that when you were trying to go through what? What support, if any, did you receive from your supervisors? Well, for me, I didn't mention it. So, I mean, if if you're active to go over and to say you are, there is a lot of opportunity, a lot of care. The thing is, is it depends. So people do that, the same thing with the VA. They're like, oh, the VA is horrible. It's not. It, they're doing the best they can and what they got. But you, you have to be forthright to go over and do that. You have to be forthright to go and pursue it. Or the people that are supporting you need to be forthright to go over and pursue it. And you have to do that. 98% of our people that got mental health care got their mental health care and they got back up and rolling. People don't understand that about the statistics in that regard. And usually patients were 12 weeks or less. But when a person like me goes over and thinks, I'll go work in the career field and I'll go work on myself and I don't go over and work myself with other people doing that, then you're putting yourself in a world of hurt. That's the problem with all the mental health, even the mental health pandemic in this particular regard. You have to have a legacy type thinking when you're working that same thing as physical health. If you go break your femur and you go over and say like, yeah, in six weeks, I'm going to walk. Yeah, that's not how it works. If Jesus, sure. I mean, if you have a miracle, great, but you have to have, be realistic in that regard. And you have to base even that realistic is based on you. So if even they say the average person takes, let's say, six to 12 months to go over and to get back up into fully walking again, you might be different. You have to look at that. So if you got to have that mindset, it's, if it took you that long to do something the first time and now you're trying to come back for it, or if you've been hurt before with the mental health stuff 
and you never dealt with it before, you can't just automatically assume it's like, hey, I'm going to go 12 sessions, I'm going to be healed, or I'm going to go quick and fast and to the point. It's inch by inch is a cinch, yard by yard is hard. So take it inch by inch. Look at that three foot lane that I was talking about earlier. And that's what's going to get you healing. Like even to this day, I broke my back five years ago. Yes, I can't run anymore, but I can still walk. I can still be active and everything else. And I got to be thankful for what I got. So, and it's taken five years to get me to this point in the sense of from broken back and learning how to walk again to where I'm at today. So I think in that regard, we just have to look at it as a realistic perspective. Mm-hmm. I don't think we do that. We do know news stories to spin up news stories and whatnot and sensationalism and emotionalism in that regard. When you get into real mean potatoes of things, yes, some things need to be fixed. We need to have more mental health care. We need to have different types. We need to have different types of therapies. Some people are going to learn from equine therapy. Some people are going to learn from this. But the long story short is, is that you got to have time to go over and to heal and you got to have the weather all to go over and to heal. And if you do and you take that time, it's not instant, but you'll see over time that you'll get healing. Did you notice at all uh, while being in the military that mental health was sort of um, niche or almost looked down upon? It was for a long time. It's the thing of it. It depends on the person. So some people are real big advocates for it now. Some people are not. I think the stereotypes still exist in that particular regard for mental health. Same thing for sexual harassment, sexual assault, all those types of things. The thing of it is, is that the care is there. And the only way it goes over and changes is to be avid, go work through it. And then those people that have those negative mindsets, we hope to work through them to break those mindsets because it's a person like if you, me, and and us three were buddies. And if you have a bad sense of mental health and you've gone through it, but you give me your perspective, I'm more likely going to take your perspective. It's kind of like the monkey with the banana that gets hosed at the top of the stairs and all five of them get hosed, but eventually you stop hosing the monkeys and the other monkeys just beat the other monkey up. Don't go up there. You're going to get hosed. You're going to get sprayed. And they, then they're like, they're missing out on the banana. I, and it's hard. You have to be really mature to go and look at and say, your opinion is based on your opinion. There's some facts in there, but I, without looking at it holistically, I have to base your opinion as your opinion. A lot of times we base it as facts. You read a bunch of stories, you read a bunch of peer reviews, we become Google ears, and now we're subject matter experts. It takes thousands of hours to become a subject matter expert in anything. So I have to just take it with a grain of salt and to go over and do that. So that's what I would say in that particular regard is that there is a lot of help that a lot of people needed, but you got to have the web all to go over and do it and don't allow fear to go over and dictate and don't allow the people that go over and say, make assumptions, just Try it out for yourself. And if it doesn't work, it might be just finding out there might be something else as a solution for you and continue to go over and persevere through that. And when you do, or the people that love and care for you persevere, there will be healing. There will be freedom. But don't expect 100% to be healed because in this life, nothing's 100% healed. You just, you get to a point that's the best place for you in that moment. And then you can take that test and be a testimony to others. What did you, were you provided a different outlook or more towards the end of your career on that type of stuff? Because you, you were uh, higher enlisted by the end of your career, yes? You were a little... No, I was, I was middle tier, middle tier. Okay. So, but like, even like with your experience, you were in for so, such a long time, you have so much experience. Um, did you notice yeah. or have a different outlook on any of that stuff uh, via um, mental health or helping people with that type of stuff or even like in your faith? 
Like, did any of that evolve yeah. as you grew in your service? Yeah, I would say so. Like, initially, I would never have touched it. Like, in my early years, like, from 2000 to 2006, I wouldn't have touched it. I did follow stereotypes. I listened to that stuff. I never went to those types of offices. And then as 2006 to 2010, and started seeing myself to go over and degrade. I was more avid to go over and look for that stuff in that particular regard. I had to go through those trials to go over and see that stuff. Now being 2022, I am a big avid and component, but I want to find the avid component that works for you most than anything else because of my diversity of different jobs. I've had seven different career fields and I've tapped in some of them that are mental health and sexual assault and awareness and other ones were totally different, their education and training. So I would say, yeah, it goes over matures with age and connection and people and experiences and everything else. And I actively look to connect with those people to go over and to learn more. So I'd say, yeah, I've grown a lot in the sense of that particular guard. But that's why I do my businesses, do my businesses to consult you to figure out what's best for you. So you go over and thrive. So we try to do as much homework for the client as possible. So you don't have to go through those hurts and hangups and hiccups or finding out, oh, that resource was right there and I had access and I never knew. A two-part question for you. As your mindset evolved, as you became more introspective and as you ended your military career, how was your transition and what steps did you take to more fulfill your purpose? Well, the first transition with active duty, because I'm still a reservist, uh, was really difficult. Um I didn't take really smart steps. I became entrepreneurial right when I came out, didn't bathe it in much prayer, not much wisdom from others, and totally hard charged out. The same thing, I took the mental health route. I went over and after I got kicked out of active duty and got the blessing to go to reserve, I was like, all right, I'm just going to go over and build my career and build my business. And at the time, it was for churches and it was for marriages specifically. And I didn't make a good transition well. We almost went homeless four times. Uh, we've had two suicide attempts at the house because of the stress that I brought in the house. I'm not saying that person did not make their choice, but the thing is, is I was gaslighting and fueling in that particular guard. So it took me breaking again in a different way in 2013 uh, when I threatened divorce to my wife on her birthday. And then she spiritually kicked me in the nuts that night for like the three hours convicting me of all the stuff the past seven years at that point in that particular regard. So once that happened, and then I took a five-year retrospective to look, look at my mental, emotional, social, spiritual, and sexual junk from the bedroom to the boardroom, that's when true transformation and the transition of getting out of the service, but I call it a transformation to get out of the service because then when things started to get better in the bedroom, because I was working out that stuff, it got better in the living room. And then from the living room, it got better into the boardroom. And that's where I started to go over and start seeing thriving, long-term successful thriving, not just monetary moments. Like I've been offered $250,000 and to write my own position before. I've been paid that, uh, to that point that much, negotiate those types of things. But that's not the biggest thing for me. The biggest thing is about the impact with the people, anything else. Money can still come, but the thing is, it was the most impact in that particular way is that transformation. So I would say, yeah, but I, it depends on the veteran and what they go over and do. Uh, and that's why people like me and like Chris Hoffman and other veterans have stepped up to help those veterans make that transformation, no matter if it's bedroom, living room, boardroom, or holistically, they need a whole entire like 
revamp transformation. I think that uh, is a testament to the importance of work-life balance as well, which we've covered on this podcast in the past. I think, so I, I find it really interesting how you equate having your household in order to then have it affect your professional career. If you could speak to where you gained that insight, like when that idea came to you. It's the June 1st of 2013 when I threatened divorce. Uh, I was at a job. I went through 70 different jobs between 2012 to 2019. I'm not Whoa. kidding you on the Whoa. number 70. Um, so <laughs> at that time, I was probably job number 10 or 12 at that point. And we moved from our, so we went from living in Ohio. That was the last active duty base. Stupidly moving to Arkansas caused more problems. Tried to start the business, which I was still broken from. And I'm just trying to keep filling things to fix things and then hopefully fix others, which was totally wrong. And then that particular regard in 2013, that's when that introspective came in. And people kept saying to me, you need to live and learn. You need to live and learn. And I kept hearing it again and again. I'm like, that's stupid. All right. So I got to smack myself in the wall. I got to go through a divorce. I got to go over and go through all these things. No, let's learn and live. Let's learn and live. That's where my business came from because I kept saying it. And, and, and everybody kept saying everything backwards. Like if you get your career in order and you get successful and you go to college, you go do these types of things. And I'm like, that's, that, that doesn't work. How many divorces have gone through? Uh, you, you can look at famous people. You can look at poor people and everybody else. When you go over and, oh, when I get six figures, I'll start having more time with my kids. When I go over and reach a certain career status, I'll start paying attention more to my wife. When I start going over in this, I'm going to go connect. It doesn't work. I kept seeing failure again and again, and my marriage and my family almost failed. And I'm like, I need to do this backwards, which is actually the right way. You go from bedroom to living room to boardroom. And for me personally, my faith, I go from my prayer room to my bedroom to my living room to my boardroom. If I'm not right with God, how am I going to be right with my most intimate partner? And then how am I going to go and be right with my kids if we're not joined as a united front? If you have kids, you know hey, I want to go out and go do this. And one parent says yes, and one parent says no, and now we're both in conflict. What'd you say? And I'm like, oh, man, if we were united when we were in that bedroom, we do that. Because now my kids go over and like do that type of stuff. Like, hey, I want to go do this. Did you talk to mom? Oh, what'd mom say? Oh, and even if it's something I don't agree with, with my wife, it's like publicly we're united as a front because we're united in the bedroom. And then if it doesn't work out in the living room, I'll take that hit for my wife. And then we come back together and say, I didn't say this, I didn't do this and whatever. And then be like, and either I will apologize or my wife will go and apologize. And like, no, dad was this and this was this or this particular regard. And then when you're both doing that, you can go through those trials. So if the boardroom changes, which the average person goes through nine careers in their life from 18 to 65 anyway, I should not be investing a master's and doctorate degree of my life in those rooms. And I mean, metaphorically speaking, because we put too much in there. You go over and say the average worker spends 50 to 60 hours in their life to go over into work. And yet you go over and don't invest that time with your kids. And you don't invest that time in your wife or your husband. And then you get a divorce and how many people are wrecked mentally, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, financially, relationally, spiritually, everything. They're a total mess. And then they go over and typically what happens is, is like, oh, oh, I went through this stuff. Okay, it was really painful. And then a couple of years later, you connect with somebody else and you didn't deal with the trauma that you went with. And then that increases the divorce and the chaos and everything else. Sometimes it works. 
But the majority of the time we keep going over and saying, if I fix that boardroom, if I go shore things up and I go fix the grade, I'm going to go over and things are going to get better. Yet, if I take the time to fix my prayer room, my bedroom, and my living room, now I have a united front with my God, my spouse, and my kid to go to that boardroom or war room, which sometimes is a battlefield, and I can go get recharged in my Engedi, which is a, a, a Hebrew word for a desert oasis. You get recharged to go back into that battlefield to serve that community, whatever it is. And then you, you can figure out your calling while you're in those safe places. If you're in your safe place in your prayer room, your bedroom, and your living room, you have that safe place to explore to go figure those things out. Instead of just going over like, this place is going to go heal me and this is going to set me up and establish everything else. We do it backwards. That, that, and I just kept seeing it over and over again. People's lives getting ruined because they put their focus in there, either as a military member, as a veteran, as a first responder, as they got out of service and everything else. And you'd see it statistically. Chris Hoffman does some great study on this. So go follow Chris Hoffman. He's did like longitudinal studies on this is that veterans that typically focus and get in there three to six years, if they don't have a mission and a purpose, they're gone. Where do you get your mission purposes? Prayer room, bedroom, living room. Very few people are going to call and say, hey, that boardroom meeting I went to that was on uh, TPS reports, found my calling in there. That's my people and that's my jam. Very rare. You're going to find it in the safe places. You're not going to find it in those places. I'm interested to ask specifically this. I've been waiting for this, this one topic. What is it that you do with the veterans? And what are some of the skills that you can teach that you take from the bedroom, living room into the boardroom? Yeah. So the biggest staple of dealing with my mental, my emotional, my spiritual, sexual junk, all that stuff was a model that my wife taught me when we were married, just early married. I was about to deploy and she was certified in this model and everything. Well, not certified. She went through like five days of training through her church and she knew it. And she's like, you're this style, you're that style and everything else. I know you. And I'm like, I don't know if you know me, but I want to learn more about that. And I took this profile. It's called the DISC model of human behavior. Uh, The letters actually represent the model. So there's the dominant style, the inspiring, the steady, and the cautious style. And I was intrigued by it. And my wife, you know, you never, if you ever take one of these tests from my website, uh, someone else's, wherever you go, do it by yourself. Don't have your spouse, don't have your coworker, don't have your friend, don't have your kid next to you because they're going to be like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. they're going through their lens. You're not going through your lens. So I came up the way she wanted me to because I was answering the questions. But then I deployed and I really got into it. I read uh, Dr. Robert Rome's book, Positive, uh, Positive Personality Profiles, I think. Uh, Dr. Robert Rome, R-O-H-M. It really helped me to go over and to start understanding myself. But it took me from reading that in 2007 to the spiritual kicking of the nuts in 2013 and then another five years, get certified, learn this stuff and learn this holistically. So that's where I start my clients at, no matter what room they're for. So if they're struggling with intimacy, communication, sex. There's actually sexual personality styles. That's another podcast, another time <laughs> in that particular regard. And that's some of the things we teach in the bedroom. And then in the living room, we're teaching about parenting, connecting, having a united front, understanding your kids, contextualizing their learning styles and everything else so they can go over and thrive. So they know 
what people they're going to mesh with well, how they're going to go connect and those sort of things. And then the boardroom is more about how to be successful with your teams and your dynamics and your communication. So that's the boardroom stuff. But it all hinges on the DISC model of human behavior. And then as a war hero to superhero consultant, that's what I call my role and then other people that I have on my team, is then we take our wisdom and experience of all we bring and we bring that to the table. And then if we're not the best fit, then we bring them to other resources. Like So if they have mental health issues, then we partner them with a provider that helps you deal with your past to have a better present. We as consultants help your present so you have a better future. That's the difference between like a counselor and a consultant or a coach. Consultants have subject matter, expert areas, coaches go whatever lane they go. So if they say they're a life coach, they're general. If they go to spiritual, then they're talking about spiritual dynamics or whatever. Coaches are usually more equal. Consultants are usually experts. Counselors are usually just helping you with your past to counsel you. You do all this internally with your business? We do the consulting internally to the business. So if we have to connect you with a counselor, then we, uh, at least my current staff, we know how to go those types of things. Because with the mental health background that I have, I can, in the DSM, I can kind of sense if there's something that, hey, this is bucking on the past, I'm going to refer that. So the main thing is we do podcasting, digital TV, books, workshops, seminars, and then we do one-on-one or group consulting. Those are the main services we do. We also do speaking and teaching. So um, got an article coming out on the nation in about a month from now, hopefully get on Good Morning America too and start talking more about what we go over and do. And then the long, long term is that we want to then have like cells for that. So then we have things that we're supporting. So like in marriage, marriage retreats and seminars and those types of things. And then when it comes to family, it's family holistic stuff and services for that. And then eventually in the boardroom, we fight for our veterans and first responders to help them thrive in those rooms. And then if later on, if we get to, to go over into lobby things to have those veterans to go over and thrive services and things of that nature. So it's a holistic service and I'm trying to grow a team in 2023. We reach a very, we have a large demographic in the military community, uh, both retired and active that are listeners. If they want to find out more about what you do and how you do it, where can they reach you? Yeah, they can go to linktree slash war hero to superhero. So it's a one-stop shop webpage. They can watch all the social content. They can watch the digital TV show. They can find the books. They can follow us socially and everything else. So just go to linktree slash war hero to superhero. It's as simple as that. So as we rebuild our web page and our web presence and everything else and whatnot, they can have access to that one-stop shop. And no matter where they go and where they listen, they can always find us. So you don't have to remember like amazing web pages and landing pages and everything else. You just go to Linktree slash War Hero to Superhero. Everything is all there. That's a nice one landing page. And I'd highly recommend it to any of your entrepreneur listeners that want to go over and easily take all their stuff and mesh it in one place. And they have a free package and they also have paid packages so if you're broke as a joke entrepreneur you can afford them and if you're a baller you can afford them <laughs> yeah you have, a, you have a podcast as well right outside of the, the business that you run. yeah so our podcast is learn and live that's for the general audience it's a five minute micro podcast just giving them wisdom from the bedroom to the boardroom and then we have a digital tv show called war hero to superhero that focuses 
military veterans and first responders, their transformation from the bedroom to the boardroom. And where can they find that? They can go to that link tree slash war hero to superhero, and they just go Google for the, and run the show. Each of the links are in there. So there's about five major links on that page. And then all the social is on the bottom. So that's why we do it that way. Just to keep it simple. So you don't have to remember any other website at all. Link tree slash war hero to superhero, no matter where you go. That's the most beautiful thing. I think in technology they built out in 2022. One micro landing page everybody goes to, and now you can do that. You can do the same thing with your podcast. You don't have to remember podcast. You just do that thing, and that's it. Yeah, we have we have a link tree as well. Um, so to wrap it up, we're kind of getting close to the time here. the The final thing that we want to know: mm-hmm. What's been the hardest thing for you to admit to yourself this year? Hmm. Admit to myself this year that I'm still in the same place that I'm at. I would say. It's been humbling to admit I had a lot of lofty goals in 2022 to be full-time and everything else, but I have to be content with where I'm at. The Lord has it exactly where I had a conversation I had with my wife the other day. I was telling you, it's in the car, like, I want to see where five years are from now. What if I saw myself today on this podcast and said, okay, I got these great opportunities to be on this podcast. I got to go to military influencer conference and everything else, but I'm still sitting in my garage, still a full-time reservist. And I'm in the job that... I love serving the people, but I don't like serving the task. And I just want to be more with people and less on the task. I would say that's probably the hardest thing to admit to myself in that regard. But I know the Lord has it and he's going to use each of these steps in that particular regard. Because what if I was in a different place? I have to look at it. It's like, I wouldn't have an opportunity about it on this podcast, but you guys have probably would have been too busy or too prideful or too whatever or anything else. You know, people get, get into that realm. So it brings me back to humility that, Every single person I'm with, every single person I go with, every single opportunity is a blessing and a gift. And even if I don't see the huge fruits of it, I need to be content with that. So I would say that's my hardest thing in 2022 is like, I'm kind of sad because I had goals. I'm like, October 1st, I'm going to be free. Woo! You know, had those lofty goals and I'm like, I'm not there yet. But I think the person, I'm not sure if it's Tony Robbins or somebody else is famous. And if I'm misquoting, I'm sorry, Tony Robbins and friends. But basically, we over-anticipate what we can do in a year, and we under-anticipate what we do in 10 years. And I think I still follow that to this day. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do so amazing things in 2022. It's going to be awesome. Woo! But I'm not looking like, what amazing things I can do by 2032. I should be planning more in a legacy mindset. I think in that legacy mindset, but I get caught up in the moment. And then I just have to remind myself, I'm like, legacy is built. One relationship at a time, one podcast at a time, one transaction at a time, and just keep building. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Enjoy the journey. Uh, thank you for your time today, David. Daniel, sorry. <laughs> Looking at words and saying other words. Uh, that's 10 hours of editing now. <laughs> 10 hours of editing now. There it goes. Great. Yeah, Clay did it to himself. Thank you for your time today, Daniel. We uh, really enjoyed the conversation. I think you're a really insightful dude. Um, I really liked everything you're saying about, you know, if you're not ready for that promotion in your, in your home life, then, then don't take, you know, I, I, I took a lot from what we talked about today and the true final question that I have for you that all of our listeners are dying to know is whose mustache is better. Minor Jake's. Mm. Who's got the this better mustache? Be the biggest decision of your life, man. This is it. Remember I edit the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know, Jake. I think I like oh, it a little shorter, so I'm going to go with the other gentleman. Yeah. Well, it's not because you're at the podcast. I'm just saying you couldn't take. If I were to this might Jake's be, anyway, you couldn't. This might be the end of my career. <laughs> uh, that's it. Jake's off the podcast. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There's some people that go over, and it's like I think 
I think you're growing yours and he's matured in his. That's what I think the difference is. That's right, boy. You, you know, heard dude, him. I don't, I don't have you to take him. this abuse. I'm just saying, when I was in my... If I was in my teens and my twenties, my child looked like the child molester stat. It looked really <laughs> creepy. And I'm I'm glad I don't grow it. And I've matured enough now that a clean face is best for me. Cause I either look really old and scruffy. Or I, look I look like really a, creepy. I, so I look I like an honorable conquistador and clay kind of looks like a washed up plumber. So that's where I that's where <laughs> You know, I gotta say those are <laughs> I say those are pretty accurate descriptions. You guys know yourself all that's very self aware. I like that. <laughs> You're right. You could play Mario. Could. Wait, Mario. Clay, give us, give us a, like, a little wahoo. Pratt, yeah. no. Wahoo! <laughs> Better than Chris Pratt. Better than Chris oh, Pratt. Oh, yeah. It was so sad. I'm so, I'm like... Chris Pratt, if you listen to this, I'm saying thankful for the role, but the thing... You're not, you're not, you're not Mario. I'm just sorry. <laughs> Where's your Bugatti? Say again? Where's your Bugatti, Clay? Huh? Oh, it's in the shop. <laughs> All right, well, this is going to wrap up uh, Daniel's story. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. It was a a great honor to hear you speak, especially about some really heavy topics. Um, Like always, if this is your first time joining us, thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope you stay tuned for some more. If you are a return listener, thank you as well. Without you, this podcast wouldn't be possible, and we probably wouldn't do it. Clay and I, hate to break it to you, not experts on anything. Not experts. So when we see you in small claims court, which we probably will, we're going to dress better than you. Oh, yeah. We will be better dressed. Yeah, but you you might win, probably. We will not have lawyers. We'll have suits and no lawyers. Yeah, I'll defend myself for sure. So three-piece suits and mustaches are going to go over and get you through. To all the to the to the twelve thousand residents of Rhode Island, uh, we're ready. Join the Patreon. Yeah, join the Patreon. I'll give you my home address. We can we can duke it out. Five bucks a pop to fight Clay. All of Rhode Island. Five bucks a pop. All 12,000 of you. Yeah, well, it's about 1.2 million. So you actually would make money if it was $5. I don't think you're going to last, buddy. Before we go, Daniel, one last question. Why won't Raid Shadow Legends sponsor us? Oh my god, please. Is this? Raid Shadow Legends. Legends. I don't know who that is, to be honest. We've been trying to get Raid Shadow Legends. They sponsor everyone. Shots fired, actually. Not us. Not us. Not us. Raid Shadow Legends, Daniel doesn't know who you are, and you should take I mean, I personally recommend Patreon sponsors, because those are the people who are going to be loyal, because sponsors would go based on what you say, but the people that have Patreons, and Patreon is a very powerful tool, so. Yeah, absolutely. Raid Shadow Wands not going to go sponsor, you just get 10,000 mini Raid Shadow Wands, and then they're paying five bucks a piece. You heard of me first. Daniel, is, um... Is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh, I'm come on, on man. Every time with this one. hot dog question, you ask it's this te- every it's single technically, guest. It's technically a sandwich because it's in All the bread time. and has meat and everything else. It's technically a sandwich. My, 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 my wife is it's a chef, so I would hot say, dog. yeah, it's a sandwich. It's a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs>